Hello and welcome to Contact High. We've been releasing excerpts from Mishkan Chicago's High Holiday Services so you can carry that inspiration into the new year. Today's episode is Rabbi Dina's sermon delivered on Yom Kippur. If you were moved by this or any other moment during Get Higher 5783, we encourage you to donate to Mishkan's High Holiday Campaign to help us continue creating radically inclusive Jewish spaces. There's a link in the show notes. Now, take it away, Rabbi. So a few weeks ago, my brother, who's in business school, did something called the Marshmallow Challenge with his classmates. The rules are simple. In 18 minutes, the group has 20 sticks of spaghetti, one yard of tape, and one yard of string, and one marshmallow, and they have to build the tallest structure that they can with the marshmallow on top. My brother and his MBA classmates fared like most MBA groups, which is pretty terribly. Most groups failed to construct a standing tower at all, instead presenting a pile of broken spaghetti and a tangle of string and tape. Their problem was that right At the very end, they put the marshmallow on top with two seconds remaining, and the structure couldn't hold the weight of the marshmallow, and it broke, which happens to most groups, apparently. So who does well at the marshmallow challenge? Well, the best are architects and engineers, thank God. The second best, kindergartners. Business students and most other adults spend most of their 18 minutes planning and organizing and deciding, leaving just a few minutes left for construction. When they put the marshmallow on top at the very last second, the tower collapses from its weight, game over. Kindergartners, on the other hand, treat the experiment like they do everything else, a chance to play. They build prototypes, experimenting with what works, and then they build successive prototypes. They're not constrained by what they think a tower is supposed to look like, so they build creative spaghetti structures that look like bridges and elephants and spiders. This is not because they are trying to do the best at the experiment. It's because this is a child's natural approach to the world. To try, play, make believe, ask why, try again. They're not yet conditioned to avoid failure or to equate their actions with their self-worth. At least, most of them aren't. This was not my personal experience of childhood. When I was little, maybe five years old, I was such a perfectionist that it actually impeded my ability to function. I would get so upset with myself, so self-punishing anytime I made even the smallest mistake that I needed an intervention from the grown-ups in my life. So they came up with a plan. On top of every quiz or assignment or anything I did, I had to write G-P-M-N-P, which stood for God perfect, me no perfect. (laughs) And whenever I would start to get upset at a mistake or frustrated that I didn't know something, the adults would say to me, Gupman up, and I would have to say back, Gupman up. 
For years, this was their refrain when I came home crying because I got a 97 on a test and missed one question. When I cried to my AP biology teacher for giving me an A minus right before college applications were going to be sent off. I was a dancer from preschool through junior year of high school, and I gave it up because it was clear I wasn't as good as my peers, even though I love to dance. I played cello in middle school, but I also gave that up because I have very little musical talent. We all have stories like this, things that we cried over because we weren't as talented as we thought we should be at them, or things that we gave up because we didn't think we were good enough. To these, I say, gupman up. God perfect, me no perfect. Trying to do well is not a flaw. It's a great strategy for accomplishing big goals. But as little Dina started to learn, we cannot always expect to be perfect, nor should we. There is no joy in setting expectations so high you can never exceed them. And there are so many things that we will miss if we don't try them for fear of being bad at them. If we only focus on getting it right, we miss the thrill of feeling ourselves improve at something. I don't still mutter Gupman up to myself. I don't think of God as perfect either. And I tend to give my parents stink eye when they say it to me, which they still do. <laughs> Literally, my mom said it last week to me. So clearly, I am still a work in progress on this. It's a lesson I've been chasing my whole life. Don't turn away from the things that you aren't the best at. Don't let your disappointment at not getting it right keep you from trying again. That is also what today is all about. Embracing our shortcomings, not as an act of self-flagellation, but with the curiosity of a child who sees every challenge as a chance to play and grow. Let today be about the chance to try out recreations of a better us without expecting that this will be the year that we nail it. We don't have to nail it. We just have to do a little bit better. Midrash Mishle, a rabbinic text, claims that even in the messianic era, the Jewish people will continue to celebrate Yom Kippur. Take a second to think about how radical this is that even in a perfected world, we will still be works in progress. The coming of the Messiah, that thing that we've been praying for for millennia, that moment that Jewish tradition imagines that all of our problems will disappear and everyone will live in safety and sufficiency, even in that world, we will still be imperfect. So clearly, being imperfect isn't a problem. It's a privilege of being alive. It's a gift to be able to do tshuva and work on ourselves. The rabbis of the Talmud also claim that the two happiest days of the year were Tuba Av, the summer love festival, and Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the people would wait in the temple courtyard for the Kohen Gadol to come out from the Holy of Holies. And when he did, they would fall on their faces and they would weep with joy and celebration, overcome with relief that they were fully accepted in their imperfection. And then they would begin to celebrate the chance to try again. Those of us who were socialized in a Christian-dominant society tend to think of sin as something dirty or shameful. But as Rabbi Stephen taught us on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish idea of sin 
is just like shooting an arrow and missing the target. It's an outcome of an action that fell short of its goal. To fail and try again is the definition of tshuva. It's a resounding affirmation of our own capacity to change. We will continue to try and fall short, and we will continue to celebrate another attempt for as many years of life as we are granted. This is not a cop-out on doing good or being good. Think of, the, think of those kindergartners in the marshmallow challenge. They don't ignore the prompt. They, too, are trying to build a tall tower. They just don't expect to get it right on their first or even fourth try. They're comfortable with failure and trying again. I think of the process of self and communal reckoning that we do on Yom Kippur like playing with Play-Doh. You can invest as long as you want in creating something beautiful with your Play-Doh. But at the end of the day, the best thing you can do to Play-Doh is squish it back down into a blob and start again. If you leave it untouched and unplayed with, it will crack and dry out and you won't be able to play with it anymore. If we don't do things that challenge our sense of competence, we create a vicious cycle, one in which we start to see ourselves as incapable of change and one where we might lose our capacity to grow and change. We must always be recreating ourselves lest we lose sight of our essential Plato-y nature. The prayers of Yom Kippur actually invite us to see ourselves like Plato or clay or any other kind of malleable creative material. In one of the iconic PU team of the day, we say, Here we are, like clay in the potter's hand, expanded and contracted based on her will. So too are we in your hand, God. The piyut goes on to compare us to metal and stone and glass and cloth, all manner of creative media that can be shaped and crafted and turned into something beautiful in the hands of a skilled artisan. We are all of these materials, and God is the artisan, the piyut tells us. So buckle up while we find out how we're going to turn out. As we get older, we tend to become more attached to our identities, more sure of our strengths and weaknesses. Developmental psychologists hold that we go through a few periods of autonomy and identity building, once at two or three years old when you're likely to see a tot out in public wearing a totally mismatched outfit because they wanted to dress themselves. We go through another such period starting around age 12 or 13, leading to teenage rebellion and clashes with grown-ups. And by the time we become adults, this work of self-definition is largely over. And we only really change our identity in response to major trauma or life milestones. Which is why the kihineka homer piyut can be kind of hard to stomach. It offends our developed sense of self, teasing us that we could be remade at any moment. And yet, every year, we show up and we proclaim our shortcomings in community. We carve out an entire day to set intentions for how we want to be different in the future. This is not because we are fundamentally bad. 
What Yom Kippur reminds us is that it is our essential nature to be malleable, to be able to learn and grow for our whole lives. Rather than change being something we dread, what if we approached it as children do, before we began to see ourselves as fixed? If we could not change, there would be no point to Yom Kippur. It's precisely because we are inherently creative, malleable, moldable creatures that this holiday makes any sense. The goal today is to come out embracing our imperfections as an invitation to play, to create in new ways. In 2017, I was working at Camp Ramah in the Rockies when the lodge, the main building of the camp, burned to the ground in the middle of the night. Thank God no one was hurt. But by dawn, the center of camp was a pile of ashes and rubble. My last summer at the camp was 2018, the year after the fire, when we ran the camp out of temporary pop-up sheds and shipping containers while the camp leadership planned how to rebuild. It was incredibly difficult for me to be back that summer, where every moment and every day reminded me of the fragility of our built environment and our lives. I spent much of 2018 being diagnosed with and then healing from PTSD from the night of the fire. My brain was stuck in the trauma of the moment, reliving the destruction in every flashing light that I saw. I was unable to tap into the creative potential, stuck in the fear of destruction and loss. So when I went back this summer to visit, I was astonished and delighted to find what looked like an entirely new camp in action with so many beautiful, functional buildings. Physically, so much had changed at the camp, and yet the camp still thrums with laughter and music and kids on bikes and joyful Judaism. After the fire, we could have said, this is it for the summer, maybe for the camp entirely. So much was at stake. Would people feel safe leaving their kids with us? Would anyone want to send their kids back next year? We decided the morning of the fire to move the campers and staff to a different location and continue to run camp. And later, the leadership decided to come back the next summer to improvise, to engage in a capital campaign, to build back not just what was lost, but something even better. Facing the desperate problems in front of us, Facing our own brokenness, we might despair, or we might double down on our efforts, attending more protests and donating more money and writing more get-out-the-vote postcards. These are all totally understandable responses to the moment. Things have been broken for so long that we might think they're stuck this way. And they're so broken that we might think we need to throw any and every resource we can at the problem to mess around with creative solutions, to try out something we don't know will succeed, can feel like a slap in the face to the urgency of the moment. But as the adage says, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Whatever we have done so far has not fixed our problems. So what we need is a Gupmanup mindset, a recognition that we probably won't fix the whole thing in one go, but that shouldn't stop us from trying. Across history, this is how progress has been made. In 1920, women won the right to vote, and a century later, we were out on the streets in our pussy hats marching to advocate for greater rights for women because we still hadn't achieved full gender equity. 
The 1950s and 60s saw a string of civil rights victories that began to dismantle legal racial segregation. Yet we know people of color still face widespread discrimination, disenfranchisement, and violence. We attend marches and fight for policy change to make everyone, and especially BIPOC people, more safe and to begin to address the centuries of systemic discrimination. In 2015, the Supreme Court finally recognized and legalized gay marriage, and yet we are still fighting for safety and legal rights for all queer and trans people. We have some tax credits for people who adopt climate-sensitive things like solar panels and electric vehicles, and yet we still have so far to go to curb the worst effects of climate change. The stories of our lives are just the same. At the beginning of our lives, we couldn't do most of the things that we can do now. And as we aged and grew, we met milestones in our own time and in our own ways. Over the years, we've grown in stature and in ability and in relationships that we hold with others. And still, we have so much more learning and growth to do no matter how old we are, which is why we are here. So we show up on Yom Kippur to remind ourselves that this is probably not the year we're going to get it all right. We will still need Yom Kippur next year. And as the Talmud taught us, every year for eternity, even in the most perfected version of the world, we will continue to ask how we can be better. Remember, God perfect, you no perfect. Yom Kippur demands that we continue to approach deep, pervasive issues with creativity, with faith that we will continue to grow, with hope that we can even have fun while we do so. Use the next few hours to ask yourself, what would you do if you weren't worried about being good at it? What possibilities might that open for you and for the world? So here's my 5783 New Year's resolution. Forget about getting it right. Do stuff you're bad at so you don't become dried out like Play-Doh. Do stuff that pushes you to be creative, to explore your ability to learn and change so that you remember that you can always try again. So, as proof of this concept, I want to share with you something that I literally could not do 20 weeks ago. I could barely do it four weeks ago, and to be honest, I'm still not very good at it, but that's the point. I may have started this learning journey picturing myself competently leading families in a Havdalah or musical program, and it will become obvious to you, as it is to me, that I am nowhere near able to do that yet. But also, I'm infinitely better than I was just a few months ago, and what that teaches me is that if I keep trying, if I keep practicing, I will only get better. And by the way, my guitar lessons the last few months have often been the absolute highlight of my week, so at least I'm having fun along the way. So, feel free to sing along to the first time I ever play guitar in public. Lizzie, do you have an extra pick by chance?
Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening. Thank you.